0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message.
1: 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Praise be to God. So we're in the third week of our Advent series now, and um, I've been telling you guys along the way that Advent, it it means arrival, it means coming. And we do an Advent series every year for the four weeks leading up to Christmas to remind ourselves how God's people waited for thousands of years for Jesus' first coming. But it's also about reminding ourselves that we are waiting, we're waiting for Christ's second coming, we're waiting for His second Advent. And we've seen in this series, the first week we saw when Gabe preached, that Jesus is the promised son of Eve, that a child was promised to Adam and Eve who would come and defeat Satan, sin, and death, and Jesus is that son. Jesus is also, we saw last week, the son of Abraham, the promised son of Abraham, who's going to come and bless all nations. This week, we're going to see that Jesus is also the son of David, a son that was given to reign over us forever. And what's really cool when you look through the Old Testament and you see these different covenants unfold, you got the covenant of grace, that's to Adam and Eve, you got the Abrahamic covenant to Abraham and Sarah, and then now this Davidic covenant, the covenant to David, what we're learning is a little bit more about Jesus all the way through. We're learning a little bit more about what this son would be like. More and more details are being added until finally, you know, at Christmas he arrives. And um, we're going to pick up the story here in uh, around 1000 BC. This is during the reign of David. So God's people had received the land. David was their king. He built a throne and he built a a palace and a home on top of Jerusalem, a palace for him to lead from. And he brought up the tent, the little tabernacle that held the Ark of the Covenant up next to it. And you see in verse 1, it says, now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies... The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do that all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. you know, David's looking over the balcony of this beautiful palace that he's built for him out of cedar, which must have smelled amazing. You know, and he's looking over this out there, and he sees the little tent where the ark is, where God's special presence dwells. And he's thinking, I need to do something about this, right? And Nathan says, oh, that's great, go for it. But then in verse four, it says, the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? And it's really interesting, the Lord says a little bit later, he says in verse six, he goes, you know, I never needed a house before. Look at verse six. I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have moved about in a tent for my dwelling. He said, I've never, never needed one before. He says, I never asked for one. Look at verse seven. In all the places where we moved with all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? You know, he's like, I haven't needed it. I haven't asked for it. Um, he's detecting something in David's way of thinking here. That's a problem. You see, David wanted to, he wanted to do a favor for God, which is nice. But impossible, right? It's nice, but impossible. Guys, God has no needs. Maybe some of you guys right now, Christmas is coming soon, you're dealing with this problem. What do I get for the person who has everything? You know? Well, God is that person. God is the one who has all things. God has no needs outside of himself. God is triune, He's three persons Father, Son, and Spirit, all fellowship, all. All desires are met within the person of the Trinity, within the three persons of the Trinity. God has no needs outside of himself. In fact, he created this world not out of any need of his own. He didn't need to be entertained. He didn't need company. But the community, of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, there was an overflow of joy and excess with which they made the world. So he has no needs. He's always the giver. We're always the receiver. And that's a big difference, guys, between the God of the Bible and the false gods of the world, Because the false gods of the world, they all need something from you. They need your service. They need your sacrifice, which is convenient in religion because then you can strike a deal with them. They need a service from me. They need a sacrifice from me. I can do that for them, and then they'll do something I need, right? It's I give you something, you give me something, right? That's how religion works. That's how all religion works. That's salvation by works. there's something God needs, I'm going to give him. When I give him that, he'll give me something I need. But the true God, the God of the Bible, has no needs. So there's no deals to be made with him. He doesn't need your service, and he doesn't need your sacrifice. Have you ever heard that in church before? He doesn't need your service, and he doesn't need your sacrifice. He has no needs. No needs. So salvation, guys, has to be by grace. It has to be him giving us a gift. It has to be grace from him. It can't be works because he doesn't need our works. So God turns the tables on David. Look at verse 11. So David said, I want to build you a house. And look at verse 11. The Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be a father to him, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be an everlasting throne. There's a play on words here. David wanted to build God a house as in a temple, and God's saying, no, 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 I'm going to build you a house as in a kingdom an eternal kingdom that would come from one of David's sons. This is called the Davidic covenant. And the Davidic covenant is an unconditional promise to us, God's people. It's an unconditional promise to us that he will give us a king that's going to reign over this world and reign over us forever. But there are conditions on who the king could be. Only a righteous king could take that throne. You look a little bit later in Psalm 132, verse 11, and it says this, one of the sons of your body, speaking to David... One of the sons of your body I will set on on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons shall reign forever, and you shall sit on the throne. So here's the way the covenant works. It's a covenant of grace to us where God is unconditionally going to give us this king that's going to reign for us over the world forever. But it's a covenant of works to whoever that king's going to be. That king has to be worthy. That king has to be somebody that earns the throne. So we get the king for free, but whoever that king is needs to earn the right for that throne. The Davidic covenant is a a promise to us of a king. And at first it looked like David's son Solomon would be that guy, right? You know, David's thinking, okay, one of my sons is gonna reign. He's gonna be this righteous king. He's gonna uphold my throne forever. Maybe it's Solomon, and he started off strong, didn't he? Israel did well did so well that the nations started to come and notice. You know, even the, the queen of Sheba, which was from a part of Africa, came to investigate Solomon's great wisdom and their prosperity. It looked like this is the guy, right? And he even built a temple. You know, he built a house for God. And uh, he brought the ark in. And when he brought the ark in, it was so filled with the presence of God, remember? It was like thick smoke to where the priests couldn't even go in to the temple. It was unusable because it was so filled with the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? So they had it all. They had the people that were promised to Abraham. They had the land promised to Abraham. And then they had the presence of God so thick they couldn't go in the temple. So it looked like Solomon is the true covenant king. He's going to fulfill this promise, right? Did he? No, oh, he threw it all away. Solomon did all the things that Deuteronomy 17 says kings shouldn't do. It was like he was intentionally trying to throw it all away. Deuteronomy 17 tells him not to do three things, and he did all three. He had multiple wives. He had an extensive horse collection. <laughs> he hoarded gold, right? And the horses just so you know, it was so he would put confidence in himself, right? He has this huge army, as of these horses he put confidence in himself instead of in God. But 1 Kings says that Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen, right? So he totally blows it there. He puts all this trust in these things just like Deuteronomy said not to do. There were clear directions. And then in the area of his romantic life, he blew that too. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So Deuteronomy says, don't get a bunch of wives. And he's like, well, how much is a bunch actually? You know? And it says that, you know, he actually married foreign wives so that his wives turned his heart away to other gods as he aged. And, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord as he aged. He didn't finish well right? He was drawn away. And as it was promised there in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord kept his promise to David to discipline Solomon, but not to remove his love from him. But he definitely couldn't be that righteous king that was going to reign forever. And none of the Davidic kings could, right? Some of you guys go through a Bible reading plan, and you go through the kings, and you read about all the kings of Israel. Exciting sometimes, depressing often, right? None of those kings could be the righteous king that's supposed to go on this throne. God kept putting David's sons on the throne, and they kept failing to earn the right to be the forever king, the righteous one, right? The purpose of that long, sordid history of the kings is to make us long for, like, when is the true king going to come that meets the requirements of the Davidic covenant that will reign forever, that will reign for us over the whole world? Eventually, Israel's kings ran the nation to the ground so badly... That uh, Nebuchadnezzar came, destroyed their temple, hauled them off to exile in Babylon. And then for 500 years, there wasn't a Davidic king on the throne. Think about God's promise. You know, there's this Davidic covenant. There's going to be a king on your throne. It's going to reign forever. 500 years, no Davidic king. You could imagine how they would start to think that God's promise had failed, right? It's a long time. It'd be like we hadn't had the, the king that we were supposed to have since like the 1500s for us. It's a long time. They're waiting 500 years, no Davidic king. And you can hear them cry out in the Psalms with things like this, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old and your faithfulness, which you swore to David? And in the midst of all that decline, God sends a prophet, sends Isaiah, to tell the people the good news that the sun's still gonna come. The promise still stands right even though you're in this dark place the promise still stands and that's in isaiah 9 and i think we'll have it on the screen but it's worth you turning there isaiah 9 6 it's very famous christmas passage this is isaiah telling his people in the midst of all this sadness that the promise still stands for unto us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father, prince of peace. Uh, Isaiah wasn't just restating the promise to David. He was doing that, but he's also giving additional details about what that king would be like, right? See if he sounds familiar. He would be wonderful counselor. That word wonderful is a word that's usually just reserved in scripture for things that only God can do. Think like signs and wonders. That's the kind of thing that the word wonder means. This king, when he would finally come, would heal the sick and he would feed the hungry and he would cast out demons and he would make the paralyzed walk and he would turn water into wine. What was he doing? He was showing like, this is what my kingdom will be like. These are little foretastes of the kingdom, right? Little, little tastes of what's to come. He'd be wonderful counselor. He'd be counselor in that this king would be the wisest man who ever lived right? Solomon was a type of that. Didn't end well. He was a wise man. This would be the wisest man who ever lived. Remember, they would say about him things like, no one ever taught like this man. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Pretty straightforward, right? This would have been a shocker though, okay? So they're expecting a son of David to come and reign on the throne forever, and Isaiah says he will be called Mighty God. Hard to get around that, right? It's a strange thing. We we don't know how this is going to work out, but this king would be God himself, And he would be everlasting father. Not that he would be God the father. This isn't like a confusion of the trinity here. What he's saying is that this king, when he comes, would treat God's people or would rule over God's people as a father. That he would be a good king that would protect and provide for him the way that a father protects and provides for his kids. He'd be everlasting father. And then he would be prince of peace. This king, when he comes, would not only cause all wars to cease, but he would create this like, perfect well-being. That word peace there is a Hebrew word. What is it? Shalom, right? It's this word that means more than just you don't have wars. It means that there's a wholeness, you know, a prosperity, a perfect human flourishing. When his kingdom comes, as the prophet Bob Marley said, every little thing is going to be all right, right? Right? You didn't know that was a Christmas song, right? Three little birds, right? That song has that feeling, doesn't it? The feeling of shalom, right? But that's what the kingdom's gonna be like, right? Rise up this morning, smiling with the rising sun. Notice in verse seven, that his kingdom will grow until it blesses the whole world. Take a look at verse seven. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end in the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and hold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, even if you're not for increased government, I know many of you aren't, (laughs) of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Expanding peace, expanding justice, expanding righteousness right? The government of this king, the, the ruling, the kingdom of this king radiating out and becoming greater and greater throughout the whole world. Isn't that amazing? And you think, I really want that, and they really wanted it, but look at the last part of verse seven. It isn't based on how deeply we want it, and we do want it. What is it based on? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He wants it more than we do, and he'll accomplish it. He's going to send this king. Isn't that amazing? And then finally, a 1,000 years after David, an angel comes to a young Virgin Mary and tells her that she's going to bear the son of David. She's going to bear this descendant of David. And when you read the Gospels, guys, you can see so clearly, and I think what the Gospel writers are trying to show us, is that he is the king, right? And, and the Gospels are so full of political themes of like king and kingdom. Sometimes we miss it, but it's everywhere, In fact, all the Christmas songs, Josh alluded to this, all the Christmas songs are very political, very much about a king, very much about a kingdom. They're about this Davidic covenant king, right? And so he comes, and Jesus was a descendant of David, uh, a son of David as prophesied. He was born as prophesied in Bethlehem, the city of the king, the city of King David. You remember how he got there? Remember how Jesus was born there? So Joseph and Mary, they didn't actually live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. Caesar Augustus, the emperor, he wanted to have a census so that he could tax his subjects, and it required Joseph to travel all the way from Nazareth, about 80 miles, to Bethlehem to register there. And many commentators have said, this makes no sense. People say, this doesn't seem historical, it makes no sense, like, why not just register in his town? But I think we all know that sometimes certain leaders will make rules that make no sense, right? This seems to me perfectly reasonable that an emperor would have this kind of power trip, you know? You're all going to go where I tell you to go and register, right? It was ridiculous. So they went, and Joseph and Mary traveled, and while they traveled there, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just as the prophecy had said. And the cool thing about that, guys, is that this emperor, Caesar Augustus, who lives in Rome, is unwittingly using his power to ensure that Jesus is born according to prophecy exactly where he should be. This guy that thinks he's in charge has actually been used by God to do this. And not just by God, already the tiny infant arms of King Jesus are ruling over the nations. Amen? Emperor Augustus was no match for the tiny arms of God. Still in the womb, he's ruling. And who ends up receiving the kingly tribute? Jesus does, right? He's greeted by the magi. They give him gifts that are fit for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This infant Jesus was hunted as a king. This is more of the kingly theme, right? King Herod wanted him dead. King Herod thought, well, this, this king that's being born, he must want my throne. And so he, he hunts him and he tries to kill him, even as a baby. And sometimes we think like, oh, Herod, he was overreacting. Herod was not mistaken <laughs> that Jesus wanted his throne, Herod was not mistaken. He was not imagining things. Jesus really was coming for his throne. Jesus was coming for everyone's thrones, right? Jesus was coming for everyone's thrones. Guys, the message of Christmas, the message of Jesus, of a king being born, threatens all of us who want to keep our thrones. Anybody want to be king? Right? It's good to be king. We like being king. There's a little Herod in each one of us, isn't there? That doesn't want to submit to another king, no matter who he is. That's in every one of us. But here's the thing, guys it's so tragic because Herod needed this king as much as anyone did. Herod needed this king, Jesus, as much as anyone. You realize that Herod's kingdom was small? He was like a mayor, it was like a county, it was a tiny little piece of land that he was a king of. And he was insecure. We know that from history. He was so violent because he was so insecure. He knew his kingdom could be lost at any time. And he was enslaved. He he was a puppet king of Rome. So this guy who's like just trying to do everything he can to keep a hold of his own kingdom and, and rule his own life is small and insecure and enslaved. A lot like all of us without Christ, right? Jesus was exactly the king Herod needed, somebody to forgive him, somebody to free him from slavery, somebody to give him a kingdom worth something, to give him this amazing kingdom that I was just telling you about that Jesus has. But instead, Herod, he reigned like 30-something years, he died Christless, and he lost it all. Total tragedy, right? And I just want to, you know, plead with you this morning, if there's any bit of Herod that you're feeling in yourself in some area of your life, and And as I said that, if you thought of something, that was the thing, okay? Look at how good this king is. And then put your little Herods to death. There's a little Herod in each one of us that needs to die. And you know what we're going to get? We're going to lose that false sense of security we have in trying to run our own lives. What we're going to get is we're going to get this king. And this king's amazing. So Jesus came as a king. He preached about his kingdom. He did signs and wonders that were foretastes of his kingdom. And unlike all the other kings, this son of David proved himself righteous, didn't he? All those other kings that we saw, finally one comes and he's righteous. He was tempted and he obeyed. He was obedient all the way to death, even death on a cross. This Jesus is the son who deserves to reign on his father's throne forever, amen? He finally arrived. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as a king. He's tried as a king. Remember, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? He was mocked as a king. Remember, they dressed him up in purple and put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a scepter in his hands and they mocked as if they were bowing down and they beat him. And then he dies on a cross with a sign over it that says king of the Jews. And you might ask yourself, especially if this is the first time you heard the story, is why would this, the one and only righteous king, die? Why would he die like that, right? I mean, this is the good one. (laughs) You know, all those other ones deserve that. This is the good one. We finally have him. This is the king to reign forever, and he dies. Why? Because Jesus the king died on the cross to welcome traitors like us into his kingdom. We're all traitors, right, because of our sin. Jesus has come to make the world new, and he's going to bring his kingdom here. He's going to make all things new. The problem is none of us deserve to be there, right? None of us deserve to be there because of our sin, we've actually all taken the side of his enemy. We've all acted as kind of little treasonous terrorists within his land, breaking his law and and living our own ways. We don't deserve to be in his kingdom. I mean, imagine what any self-respecting king would do with people like us who have acted as treasonous as we have towards God. We don't deserve to be in his kingdom. We'd be a hazard to his kingdom, right? Right? We deserve to be banished forever, but the wonder of the gospel, guys, is that Jesus is the king who laid down his life for traitors like us. Guys, that's amazing. It's amazing. What kind of king does that? No king does that but Jesus. No king dies for his enemies. The king has a role of authority and power. You can do whatever you want, and you have people that have been totally deserving of your judgment, and yet this king is the kind of king that, what, comes off his throne and comes down and gets crucified? It's unbelievable, right? And as some of you might be this morning thinking you've sinned too much, you've sinned too much for this king to to forgive you. And I want to just tell you something really clearly. Jesus wants me this morning to tell you that he is more than willing to forgive all of your sin. That's what Jesus wants me to do this morning. He sent me here to tell you that he is more than willing to forgive all of your sin, Guys, he literally died to do it, okay? He would not have endured the whips and the thorns and the nails of the cross to give out like little pinches of forgiveness. Oh, here's some for you. Don't take too much, right? There's no way, right? Little pinches of forgiveness after all that? No, he wants to pour out his grace on you. He doesn't want to give you little pinches. Oh, wait, oh, you took too much. Let me bring some of that back. No way. He wants to pour his grace out on you. Why else would he do that except to forgive every sin? He's more than willing to forgive all your sin today. All you have to do is like put out your hands in faith and say, I want that. <laughs> Lord, I want that. I want all my sin forgiven. I can't believe that you would do this. I can't believe that you would do this for me, you know? And you say, well, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm taking advantage of grace and I feel like maybe this one I need to just keep on myself or something. It's already paid for, right? It's already paid for. And look at what cost. Take it, right? He doesn't give out little pinches of forgiveness. He wants to pour his grace completely on you. And he died not only to welcome us into his kingdom as citizens, but as sons and daughters of the king. How cool is that? It's crazy. Three days later, he's raised to prove he's king. The resurrection, guys, proves that Jesus really is the righteous son of David who deserves to reign on the throne forever. It's one of the things the resurrection proves, that he has accomplished this. Forty days later after that, Jesus ascended to his throne in heaven as king, and now Jesus reigns as king in heaven. So when we say that Jesus ascended, we mean, yes, he ascended and he went up to heaven, but we also mean that he ascended in the sense that a king ascends to his throne. He's reigning right now, guys. Now, get this. This is crazy. He still has his human body, right? He's God and man. He retains his human body so that right now on a throne in heaven, there is a real human man with David's DNA. You could swab the inside of his cheek, run a test, and find out this is David's son reigning right now. God keeps his promises. That's the promise to David being fulfilled right now. His kingdom is an already-not-yet kingdom. What that means is that it comes in stages, that he came, he brought his kingdom in. He didn't take it with him. He left it here. It's growing throughout the world, but it's an already-not-yet kingdom. It's a now-and-not-yet type kingdom where it's here, but it's growing. It's expanding. It's radiating out, and it'll fully come when his second coming occurs. When the king comes in his fullness here, his kingdom will come in its fullness, but we live in a time that's really exciting where Christ is reigning on this throne and he's sending out his people by the Spirit. His kingdom is growing in the world. It's raiding it out. It's invading, right? It's invading enemy territory. It's, it's causing more and more people to trust in him. And so it's growing in the world. As more and more people trust in Christ and believe the gospel, uh, Colossians says they're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. More and more people coming into his kingdom. That's how it grows Remember last week, I I'd asked you guys to pray for Holly in Cambodia. So she's our missionary in Cambodia. She uh, works mainly with girls that are at risk or have been trafficked. So she has a discipleship home. They come, they live with her, and they basically all get saved, which is amazing. And um, she started this kids club thing where she's ministering to like kids out in the community. And uh, she asked us to pray for Last week on the 14th, she was having an outreach. She wanted to have something for the parents, right? She's ministering all these kids. She's like, bring your parents. So I think many of you guys prayed. And uh, she, she told me it went well. So 400 kids showed up. So the parents couldn't come in. Uh, the parents were like, oh, you can go in. So she's going to have another outreach on the 26th in bigger locations so she can actually have the parents. But isn't that crazy? Yeah, 400 kids showed up to this thing. She's so chill about it too. She's like, hey, I'm having this little thing. We're like, yeah, we'll pray for your little thing. And then it's like, this is not a little thing, you know? It's incredible. Think about these kids growing up in Cambodia. They've never heard the gospel before, right? And they live in constant threat of being used in that way. And they're hearing the gospel And their parents are going to hear the gospel. So we're praying for that next one too. But that's the kingdom of God, right? His people are being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom grows, as Jesus said, like a seed into a tree in the world or as yeast spreads through dough. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Amen? And Jesus' reign is growing more and more in us, right? We need Jesus to be king as much as those ancient people did. We need him to save us and to free us and to lead us. And what's cool is that Jesus is actually expanding this kingdom in us. He's reigning more and more in us by the Spirit. Romans 14 says this, The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is the Holy Spirit causing more peace and joy and righteousness in you. And I just say, if there's some area where you're resisting this King. Look at how wonderful he is and invite him for his spirit to grow his kingdom in you. You know, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven, we should be praying, start here. <laughs> start with me. Break down my resistance. You know, there's areas where I am resisting the reign of King Jesus. May your spirit flood me and give me more righteousness and peace and joy. Amen? He wants to do that. He wants to do that more and more in us. You know, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, both in the world and in us. It's amazing, totally amazing. So it's an already not yet kingdom. Uh, So that's the already part. The not yet part is that Jesus is going to come, he's going to return, he's going to reign, he's going to resurrect and renew both us and the world. He's going to resurrect and renew both us and this entire physical world. You know, the word gospel has become very common to us, right? And we think of the word gospel as a religious word almost, right? It's a church word. It's a Christian word, let's say. But in the first century, the word gospel was a political word. Did you know that? It was a political word. It was for a new emperor being born. That would be a good news, a gospel. We have the good news of the gospel that a certain emperor has been born. Or of a great battle being won or of a new emperor being crowned. And what's really cool is in the gospel, guys, it's all three. We celebrate all three at Christmas. We celebrate that our new emperor has been born, that he's won the great battle on the cross for us, and that he's been enthroned as the emperor forever. In Christmas, we celebrate that he reigns. Our perfect, righteous son of David is reigning. We finally have the one that could claim the eternal throne and rule forever, the one who's gonna heal the world right? The one who's going to bring perfect peace and righteousness and justice. Guys, it literally doesn't get any better than this. I mean, in a world, and I think you can relate to this, where we are so anxious about who our leaders will be or who they are. Guys, Jesus has been crowned emperor of the world and is currently reigning, and his kingdom is going to come more and more into this world. This is, it doesn't get better than this. We celebrate Christmas because we have the king we've been waiting for. We celebrate that the world will not always be broken, we will not always be broken, and that when the king comes, literally every little thing is going to be all right, more than all right. It's going to be amazing. Guys, Christmas is about his kingdom come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this blessing of a king. I think most of us came this morning not knowing we needed one, and now we hear how desperately we've always needed this king. Jesus, Son of David, we pray, reign over us, reign over our hearts, reign over our church. Jesus, Son of David, reign over our city and our valley and our state and our country. Jesus, Son of David, reign over the world. We know that you are, and we just pray more and more that the increase of your government would have no end. Knowing that's the case, we pray even more, come, Lord, fill us more. Fill our world more. We want to see you. We can't wait for you to return. We want to see our king. And we want to see your kingdom. The things you've told us about it are amazing. And we just say, come quickly. Come quickly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.